This podcast may contain graphic and or explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners, especially kids like me. <laughs> Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to The Real Life Podcast, brought to you by The Thin Blue Line for Women. In this podcast, we open up and talk about real-life issues as they relate to law enforcement. It's raw, it's real, and it's about time. I'm Tamara, your host. Thanks for joining me. Don't forget, you can listen to The Real Life Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and on YouTube. Thank you for joining us. Hey, I've got some shout outs here. Some people that I want to thank for following my podcast and following the Thin Blue Line for Women. Got H. Clary, Allison, and Wedig. Detective Blue Line and Baby Yoda. Cami, I have your six. Elma with a yellow flower in her hair. Live PD Snarcasm. I think that's a new page. I like that page. Johnny Socks, as usual. Broken Medic. Now, Broken Medic, I'm recording him this week. Um, He's going to be in an upcoming podcast. If you haven't followed Broken Medic yet, you should. He's a really great guy, and I'm really looking forward to speaking with him. I think his name says it all, Broken Medic. It's going to be a good podcast. Um, Shoutouts continued. Patty Lee Roberts, Mind Jacked, Susan Neeland, Becky Howell, Becky Rice, Jill Bemmy from Canada, Benjamin Tyler Smith. Now, Benjamin has a book coming out. He's a writer. It's called The Blue Crucible. It comes out on Amazon March 13th. It is about the Thin Blue Line Horse Patrol. It's going to be awesome. It's apocalyptic. It is sci-fi, which I normally don't read, but I'm going to read this one because it's about the Thin Blue Line Horse Patrol, and they're going to kick butt. It's going to be awesome. So Benjamin Tyler Smith, The Blue Crucible, coming March 13th. Had to get that in there. Janet Roberts, the Resting Mom Face Podcast, who I listen to. She's awesome. First Responder PTSD Advocate. Thank you for what you all are doing. The 9 p.m. Routine, who keeps us uh, reminded all the time, every night, to lock up our valuables, our cars, our homes, etc. And last but not least, Sam and Tara. So if I misspelled anyone's names, uh, not misspelled, Goodness gracious, if I misspoke any of your names, I'm very sorry. But the gesture is the same. I love all of you. Thank you for following Thin Blue Line for Women. Thanks for following me on my author page, Tamara. Uh, Tamara Mickelson Author. I think that's my Twitter name. I don't know. Just go find me. You'll find me. Um, I think that's about it. Let's Let's get this podcast started, shall we? We're talking to a law enforcement chaplain. She used to work in my department. Um, She's doing big and great things right now. So we're going to talk to her shortly. So let's go. Welcome to the Real Life Podcast. I'd like to introduce a very special lady. She was there for me to help me deal with an officer's death uh, in the line of duty death. And she was there for me also when I had to testify on a prelim for a triple homicide. And those uh, two cases are in my book, Officer Down, and uh, that's chapter 11. And the triple homicide is chapter 10. Um, so welcome, Chaplain Vicki, to the Real Life Podcast. Thank you for having me. So when I worked in my department, you were a law enforcement chaplain for my department. So how long were you a chaplain in my department? And 
also coupled with that, tell me a little bit about yourself. So a very long time ago, I was a deputy sheriff in the um, California Bay Area. I started my career as a dispatcher and then transitioned to being a deputy. It was uh, in the 70s, and the uh, women were not really welcome on patrol, and we had to really fight the county a little bit on that to get some classifications changed. Even though we went to the same academy and had to pass all the same tests, both physical and the, the entire academy, they did not want us on patrol. So I was actually one of the first women to be uh, work patrol in that county. And uh, there were not very many women in patrol at all throughout the state of California, probably through the nation. Um, fast forward, I uh, was with them all nine years and left to become a stay-at-home mom. I had a seven-year-old daughter, and then uh, found myself suddenly single a couple of years later, and life takes its twists. And I, But because I was a single mom, didn't feel the freedom to go back into law enforcement. Had a variety of uh, career, mostly in sales, um, became a Christian, and uh, then, again, fast forward, became a pastor on staff. I've been ordained minister with the Independent Assemblies of God for over 20 years. Heard about the law enforcement chaplaincy and felt that there was a good possibility that that was combining the two loves of my life, ministry and law enforcement. And uh, so I was uh, actually an active law enforcement chaplain for almost 10 years working specifically with officers. Um, I spent a lot of time in stations and with officers and doing ride-alongs, building relationships and building trust so that when things would happen, that uh, they would know that I was a safe person for them to be with. Wow, I forgot that you were a 911 dispatcher. Yes. Years ago. <laughs> forgot all about that years ago no computers right right you're writing on pieces of paper yeah. right? was that map, what you did yeah oh yes and map books uh, oh well okay when I came on we were using map books we did not have computerized uh, maps at all so right. I'm dating myself as well um good old Thomas Thomas uh, yeah. died yeah so what kind of training did you have to do to become either the, a chaplain or the law enforcement chaplain. I guess there are two different trainings. There are two. Uh, there's community chaplains who work primarily with victims and victims' families. Um, to be a law enforcement chaplain, you have to be licensed or ordained as a minister so that you can have privileged communication so that officers can talk with you without the worry of you being subpoenaed or oh, that's like right. a priest. You know, when you go into the confessional with a priest, uh, that is covered uh, under privileged communication according to California law. So there is a difference there. The training starts with 24 hours of training in just basic trauma care, how to help someone who's going through either a traumatic event, critical incident. And then there's a 40 hours of a law enforcement chaplain academy. And then there's approximately another 50 plus hours of kind of on-job training where you're with another chaplain. But after that, I can tell you it's a solid two to three years of consistently spending your time with officers before you really hit your stride. Okay. And do you have um, a religious faith like Baptist or Catholic? So I'm a Christian. Um, I, as I said, I'm ordained with the Independent Assemblies of God. I currently go to a non-denominational Christian church. Um, I was on staff at an Assembly of God church for 19 years, um, handling women's ministries and then as the associate pastor. So filling in the pulpit when needed or whatever else needed. It was a small church, so it was a volunteer position, but 
So to be... So to be a law enforcement chaplain, you don't have to be a specific faith, right? Like they're not looking for Baptists or Catholics. They're looking just for your Correct. faith. It's and- some, having somebody, um, somebody has to have a faith background, okay. uh, especially in the organization that I was with. We didn't do any spiritual training because we did have people from different faiths. We uh, expected the chaplains to have their own ecclesiastical covering and to do their own spiritual learning and growth, etc. Okay. Now, what was your favorite part about being a chaplain? Do you have like favorites? Oh, yes. <laughs> I, well, as a deputy, uh, we did not have resources. Um, like are available in many places today, not everywhere. We didn't have chaplains. We didn't have peer support. We didn't have EAP. We operated under the old school suck it up buttercup method. Now, now for listeners who don't know what EAP is, Employee Assistance Program. So go ahead, continue. Yes. So we had nothing. If you had a difficult call, you were just expected to finish a report and handle the next call. Right. Um, Now, granted, we didn't have the volume of calls then, and we didn't have the uh, seriousness that is experienced today, where our officers today daily have difficult and challenging calls. We did not have that. But um, so my my favorite part of being a chaplain was spending the time with the officers, whether that was going through the jail floor to floor, just visiting with the new officers, whether it was going on ride alongs. I would typically do four to five ride alongs a month at different stations. It was developing the relationships with the officers so that there was a level of trust. So when stuff happened, they knew they had someone they could go to. Right. And they've seen you before and talked to you before. I remember you always being at the jail. Yes. I loved visiting the deputies. (laughs) Now, now when you say you liked visiting people, you call it having pie. Let's meet for pie. Do you remember that? I do. I do. (laughs) Well, you know, Law enforcement officers don't really like to say, I need help. Right. So uh, oftentimes as a chaplain, I felt it was more my responsibility to, I don't want to say force that, but just come alongside and, hey, let's just have coffee or let's have pie. Mm -hmm. It's, It's a lot. They could take that easier than me saying, I know you're hurting. Let's talk. No, I get that. Yeah. That's a lot, a lot better. Yeah. It's easier to receive that. Yes. So do you have any stories of worst crime scenes or worst calls or worst death notifications? Do you have anything that really stands out to you? Uh, Yes, I have several. Um, Probably the worst death notification I did was in a um, upper scale neighborhood. with a gate, a gated community. And I was with another chaplain and we knocked on the door of this very nice family that, um, whose 19 year old son had left for work an hour and a half earlier, gotten in a horrible crash and died. And, and the, it was a difficult one for me for two reasons. One is I had a 19 year old grandson at the time And I could, of course, in my mind, visualize this could easily have been our family. But I think the thing that made it even more difficult is uh, he was the oldest of five. So this is on a Saturday morning, 1030 in the morning. Everybody's home. The mother and the father um, didn't want the other kids to be part of the notification. So we notified the mother and father. Of course, they cried. And then they excused us. And I felt like we could have done more for them. We didn't want to overstay our welcome. So when they asked us, you know, okay, we're done. Thank you. 
which is kind of an odd thing to hear when you've just told them their child died. But I felt like we could have offered them resources. We could have stayed with them until other family got there to help them. We could have helped their other children, and they just didn't want that in it. It, uh, I knew we had more that we could have done, and yet they didn't want it. Um, okay. So that was difficult. Right. Is there a proper way to make a death notification? How are you trained to, to do this? Trained to, A, make sure you're talking to the right person so you verify their identity. Try to get them to a, we call it a soft place, sit down so that they don't fall down. And then it's very direct. Uh, it's, are you Tamara Mickelson? I'm here to tell you that your child so-and-so-and-so died this morning. Or, and then you wait. <sighs> and, and, and it's very challenging, very challenging, because you, you just destroy somebody's life. Yeah, I, do you remember me telling you that I had to make a death notification at work? I'm not going to, I'm not going to say the officer's name and I did not write about um, the officer's name in my book, but I have a chapter called death notification in my book. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to the hospital as peer support because I was on the peer support team. I was off that day. I was in court and I responded there to the hospital as a peer support member instead of a deputy that day, which was different for me, you know? Um, and I wasn't in my uniform, I was in my suit. So I remember just sitting there feeling like, well, I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting here. I'm not helping anybody. And then I said, Hey, chaplain, you know, what can I do to help? And she said, go, go, look, go, go, go to that chaplain right there out the door. She needs you. I said, Oh, okay. And I, I'm all excited and I want to go help. Right. And I go meet the chaplain at the door and she's like, follow me, let's go. And I mean, just quickly, without another word, we just were just walking. Did you read that part in my book? Yes, I did. Okay. So I'm just walking and walking and following her. And I said, where, where are we going? She's like, to make a death notification. I said, wait, what? <laughs> hold, hold on a second. I, I, and I just, I just froze. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this. I was freaking out. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I didn't, I wasn't the one when we got there to say the words I thought I was going to have to say the words. I, she sat there and just like looked at me and I went, oh, I don't know what to do. You know, I'm, I'm giving her this look like, please help, please help. Cause I didn't know what to do or what to say. You know, I'd never done that before. That's not our job. That was right. horrible. And, and, and what I didn't like about that was now I'm forever in their memory. Like right. I'm, I'm always going to be in their, in their mind Correct. when they think of that. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that my face, they can associate my face with that. Or I don't even think they knew my name. They probably don't remember my name, but I didn't like that at all. And I don't know how you guys do that every day, all the time, but I'm here to tell you that is not for me. You learn to be compassionately detached. And luckily as a law enforcement chaplain, I did not have to do that many death notifications. Typically, the community chaplains did that. Oh, okay, okay. But law enforcement chaplains are trained in how to do it and sometimes have to do it if there is not a community chaplain available. But it is very challenging. I like the way you just said that, compassionately detached. That brings me to talk about Can you tell us what compassion fatigue is? Can you define that for us? Yes. Compassion fatigue is when a person, typically they're very empathetic people and are helpers, people who want to help others, but they end up taking on the stress or the situation from the person they're trying to help. So they personalize it. And that by itself, if you're able to then get past it after that, you probably won't develop compassion fatigue. It's when you do that in combination with not 
um, planning for self-care. Okay, how how is that different then from a deputy or an officer coming from a scene? I mean, they're still, how come they don't call that compassion fatigue? They're calling that post-traumatic stress. Do you so, see what I, my question yeah. is? So, so the difference is, is an officer responding to a scene has a job to do. They go in there with a mindset of depending on the situation, whether I have to put aside all my emotions and take care of whatever the job is. Does that mean the job is that I have to um, make sure that I stay safe, my partner stays safe, sometimes it's a shooting, whatever those situations are. And you walk away and you write your report. And then if you understand yourself, you can file it correctly in your brain. So when you're, when you're in the situation, you have to put all that aside so you can deal with whatever your job is. Right. Okay. When you walk away, when you come off of that, what I call autopilot. So, mm-hmm. so now I'm away from it. that may be hours, that may be days before you can finally sit down and say, okay, and then you can reframe it. Reframe. Okay. So you're, you're reframing whatever that traumatic event was. Some of us are better at that than others. It's compassion fatigue is when I'm coming alongside to help you. And then I personalize it like it's my situation. Okay. okay. So, so now, so for instance, that death notification I just told you about, if I had walked away from there and like, oh my gosh, their 19 year old son died, it could have been my grandson and I'm walking away and I just get overwhelmed with that. And if I don't have a plan for self-care, if I don't have a plan to say, okay, maybe I need to take a couple of days off. Or maybe I need to um, take a nice long walk or whatever it is that is my self-care plan. If I don't have that in place, then, then maybe I go to another one and then I go to another one. And pretty soon I'm taking on everybody else's issues, everybody else's problems, everybody else's critical incidents. Now they're, I'm personalizing them. They're becoming mine. Okay. And I'm not taking time out to refresh myself. Then you can get compassion fatigue. And it's a very real thing. And you'll find it in um, certainly uh, caregivers, especially long-term caregivers. Think of an Alzheimer's patient's spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll find it a lot in pastors because they don't take time for self-care. Okay. You do find it in chaplains, you find it in nurses or doctors or CPS workers, um, therapists, people who just don't know when to take that step back and say, I need a break. I need to, I need to refresh. Have you ever had compassion fatigue yourself? Uh, no, but uh, I feel like I am incredibly blessed with the ability to compartmentalize pretty well where I can look at a situation, kind of take a step back and realize that's not my situation. And that while it's a horrible situation and I feel bad for the people involved, it's still not my situation. And so I can take that step back. Plus, I do a lot of self-care. Now, do you think that you learned that from all of your training? Or do you think that that you're leaning on God for that? Or do you think it's all intertwined? Like, where do you think all that comes from within you? I, I, think, I think certain amount of it is just part of who I am. Okay. Part of my makeup. But certainly... Uh, my training helped immensely because I have a better understanding of trauma, how it affects people. So therefore, I, I make sure to have a self-care plan. I make sure to do that. And then, of course, my faith and understanding that no matter what I'm going through, God is with me. God will carry me through it. 
And as awful and ugly as some things can be, I know that ultimately God is not only in charge, but he will use that in some way. I, I may not see it right away, but it, he will use that in some way, um, not only for my good, but mostly for his glory. Right. That sounds so refreshing, the way you just put that. <laughs> and with that, we're going to take just a quick break and we'll be right back. Are you looking for Thin Blue Line gear? It's available on our website at thinbluelineforwomen.com. That's thinblueline, the number four, women.com. Show your support for law enforcement and get your Thin Blue Line gear today. Just click on shop at thinbluelineforwomen.com. I'm going to read a poem that I have kept with me my entire career, well, starting starting from when I worked in CSI, so the last 15 years of my career, and it's called Tears of a Cop. It's just a poem that grabbed me by the heart one day, and I've kept it with me ever since, and it's actually by Unknown, so I don't know who wrote this, but whoever did, it was just, it's an amazing poem. I, I love it. I've literally kept it with me for years. So here it is, Tears of a Cop. I have been where you fear to go. I have seen what you fear to see. I have done what you fear to do. All these things I've done for you. I am the one you lean upon, the one you cast your scorn upon, the one you bring your troubles to. All these people I've been for you. The one you ask to stand apart, the one you feel should have no heart, the one you call the man in blue, but I am human just like you. And through the years, I've come to see that I'm not what you ask of me. So take this badge and take this gun. Will you take it? Will anyone? And when you watch a person die and hear a battered baby cry, do you think that you can be all those things you ask of me? Welcome back. We're back with Chaplain Vicki. Do you have a story about the worst call that you've been called to? Yes. Um, Certainly, uh, I made it a practice not to view what people might consider a gruesome scene. Uh, I didn't feel like I needed to put those images in my head. But I would say the most challenging call I went on was when we had an officer killed and they were going to have the procession from the coroner's office to the funeral home. And I was asked to participate in that. And I hadn't done that before. And it was when we approached the freeway and we got on a freeway in 10 o'clock traffic on a busy freeway that has four lanes, maybe five, where we got on. And there was not another vehicle in sight. And it was surreal. And I remember thinking, when we get to the end of this at the funeral home, I'm going to have to get out and be with these officers. And I'm their chaplain. And they need me for their support. So I can't fall apart. And I remember calling my daughter on the phone and just talking to her through it and crying and crying. And then we transitioned to another freeway that had seven lanes as these two freeways came together. And and again, not a car in sight going in our direction and the cars going in the opposite direction were all stopped and then I looked and out of the corner of my eye I saw a man standing on the concrete divider between the two sides of the freeway standing there in a suit um, 
at full attention, saluting as the hearse drove by. And just tears flowing down his face. And as I looked at him, I I realized that it was this officer's captain who was having to drive from their station back into the uh, central area of town at that time because of uh, a press thing that was going on. And, but he standing there. And again, I was talking to my daughter on the phone and I remember saying, I just don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. And my daughter saying, you can do it, mom, you can do it. You can get through this. And then again, pulling into the funeral home and seeing hundreds of officers lining the street, lining the driveway of the funeral home, all standing at attention and remembering, I have got to get it together for these people. And uh, I have to tell you, it stands out. I I will never forget that day. Um, Again, officer uh, line of duty deaths are, as you well know, uh, the the worst, uh, absolutely the worst for people who put their lives on the line every day to protect us and have their life snatched away by pure evil um, is challenging to say the least. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head with that pure evil and that's exactly what it is. Yeah, and it's it like is. it's getting it's getting worse too. There's th- this evil in our world. <laughs> it is. And I know that probably the majority of people really do support our first responders. Um, they're just not the vocal majority, even though they're the majority. Um, and uh, I think it's important that we go out of our way in whatever way we can to let those who protect us know how much we appreciate everything they do. Yes, I agree with you. I'm sorry that you had to deal with that. I was glad to be there for the officers. I know that sounds very strange, but... uh, No, it doesn't, because that was was your calling, to be a chaplain. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. It definitely is my calling. So I'm going to ask you a super hard question that uh, you you don't know that I'm going to ask you. Okay, so I'm going to ask you about, and I'm going to try not to cry, the officer down call, um, Officer Kevin Ton. I want to see if you remember anything differently about that day when I, when you and I were at the, um, I guess, the funeral home for the viewing that day. Mm-hmm. Because I haven't talked to you about it. You and I haven't talked about it no, since it haven't. happened. And I didn't even talk to you about it before I wrote the book. So I'm going to ask you right now, live on this podcast, do you remember anything differently than what you read in my, in my book? No, I, nothing differently. Um, I was still a relatively new chaplain when that happened. Uh, a few moments ago, I said it takes two to three years to really hit your stride as a chaplain. I hadn't hit my stride. So uh, I was trying to do my best and be available with not actually knowing what that really entailed. And so I don't, I don't remember the specifics. I do remember the specifics of meeting you at the hospital, but I don't remember the specifics of that day at the funeral home. Now that's interesting because I don't remember any specifics of you at the hospital. I remember all of them at the funeral home. Isn't that Uh, odd how we all remember things differently? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. That's so crazy. Whew. Okay, I don't want to talk about that anymore because I don't want to lose it. Let's go into something super important, and that is your nonprofit. I want you to tell all the listeners about it. I can't wait to hear about this. So what is the name of your nonprofit organization? It's Frontline First. And what's the mission? The mission is to reduce the incidence of suicide, divorce, and addictions of first responders. And we do that through a faith-based, no-cost trauma healing courses. And it not only helps our first responders heal, 
but it also produces growth and then helps them develop strength and resiliency to deal with future traumas and ultimately to experience emotional, spiritual, and mental wellness. And it's called Frontline First? Frontline First. And when I left the local chaplaincy, um, I wasn't ready to sit in my rocking chair on the front porch. (laughs) Right. I'm not sure I'll ever be ready for that. Um, (laughs) But I'm very passionate about our first responders uh, getting the help that they need. And uh, so I found this curriculum. It's The curriculum comes from an organization called Reboot Recovery. Uh, they originally developed curriculum for combat veterans returning from war and then developed uh, the secondary curriculum for first responders. And so when I found that curriculum, I felt it's very much a faith-based curriculum. And I felt like that was really a niche that was not uh, being filled. It also includes their spouse. And you know, as well as I do, that when a first responder is experiencing trauma, his family is experiencing trauma. And so we bring them in, uh, spouse or significant other, bring them in, um, The curriculum is originally developed to be done over a 12-week period of time, about an hour and a half a week for 12 weeks. Uh, We found that to be um, somewhat challenging. 12 weeks is a long commitment. So we adapted the curriculum for six weeks where we do two sessions a night. So we bring in the singles or couples, uh, their children. We feed them a meal, provide child care. And uh, all this is at no cost to them. And so which is why I developed the, the nonprofit to raise the funds to um, pay for these courses, because it still costs about $125 a person to put them through the course. Okay. Can you tell me the, the mission one more time? I actually want to write that down. You said to reduce suicide. Well, suicide. I'll let you tell me. Suicides, divorce, and addictions. Okay. Um, of our first responders through our faith-based, no-cost trauma healing courses. I like that. And of course, that's only in California, where you're at. Actually, no. Oh, okay. So Reboot Recovery, and their website is rebootrecovery.com. And they have courses throughout the United States and some international courses. We are the only course in Northern California. Uh, they're actually based in Tennessee. You're and kidding. That's where I live. <laughs> I know. And uh, again, so when I found the curriculum, uh, one of the uh, co-authors, a couple, lives in uh, Eugene, Oregon. Or, and so drove up there to just see how they were operating their class and see if it was what something that I felt we could use here in Sacramento, in Sacramento area. Yeah. So So when did you begin that? We incorporated in November of 2018 and started our courses. We also have adapted the course to a two day course, which is not the best option, but it's, if somebody only has two days that they can devote to it, it, it works. And so we held our first two-day courses in July. And as of today, we're in, uh, we'll be finishing up another, our second six-week class at the end of this month. We've done five two-day courses, two six-week courses, a 12-week course, and we just started another 12-week course on Sunday afternoons in a nearby city. We we do limit the attendance to 15, just so that everybody has a chance to participate and also connect. And, and while it's not a support group, they end up developing community in this mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's not done online at all. These are no. in-person courses. In okay. Person. And, uh, I could, I could give you, I'll give you a couple of really short stories. 
we had an officer who had been involved in a shooting and he wrote me a message after attending the class and said, Vicki, it's been three years. And for the first time, I'm sleeping without nightmares. Wow. And then I had another couple. <laughs> yes, I had another couple came in. And the first night you introduce yourself, why are you here? And he said, my name's so-and-so, this is my wife, so-and-so. And uh, she has filed for divorce and moved out. Uh, but she found this course and she thought she would just come to support me because apparently I'm in, and then he used a word <laughs> and, and they went through the six week course. And I also did some uh, pastoral type counseling with them and we're getting ready to renew their vows and they're actually helping to facilitate our 12 week course. It's wow. Now that's, that's all that all you had to say. It just helped <laughs> yeah, at least just, one person. It's amazing. It's just amazing. And as a chaplain, uh, as a law enforcement chaplain, we were trained to that we bring our faith with us as people of faith, but we did not bring up faith unless an officer we were with brought that up. And these classes and we let everybody know right up front they are faith-based classes and as a Christian it is exciting to be able to share with them who the real healer is and where real healing comes from and that it's not just some kind of coping mechanisms but that God loves them and God has a plan for them and it's a good plan and that God will help them and strengthen them and can actually heal them from whatever it is that they've experienced. It's, mm-hmm. it's exciting. Yeah, during the writing of my book, Through My Eyes, I, I did put some verses in there that were very close to my heart after each chapter, you know, after some of the chapters. And I, I remember just during my time in CSI, I wish I would have depended on God more to take away my pain, you know, and I I didn't, I didn't. And I wish that's one thing I regret is not being as close to God as I am now, Mm -hmm. because I I feel that would have helped tremendously if I would have leaned on him, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. We talk about in the course about when we experience some kind of trauma, our souls are wounded. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had in the classes, uh, and we've had people from probably 12 different agencies, but I've had them say nothing. They had not ever experienced anyone ever talking with them about how your soul gets wounded and that it was almost like a new revelation to them. And we also talk about how God can love us and still let us suffer. And so often people walk away from God because they look at it and say, you know, if you're such a good God, why do you let these things happen? Uh, yeah, I know that a lot of people ask that question. Sure they do. Sure they do. And, and so we work, we work through that in this course and uh, it's exciting. That sounds amazing, Vicki. What, what's your role? I'm the executive director of the and the founder of the nonprofit. I also um, am the facilitator of the courses, although I have some people working with me that also um, help facilitate. Uh, one of the goals is to bring along others who can help facilitate. Also, we hope to add a course um, later this year for combat veterans. So I'm right now looking for a a combat veteran or two that could facilitate that course. I don't have combat experience, so I feel like that needs to be part of it. And um, Mm -hmm. I also, um, we provide other workshops for businesses and churches and the general community. And those are uh, victimization prevention. So it's not self-defense, it's self-protection. So that three sixty awareness part primarily for women and women's groups, church groups. Um, We also do neighborhood emergency training. That's disaster preparedness. And then I do uh, trauma training. 
for churches, especially church leaders? How do they help their people who are experiencing some kind of trauma or traumatic event? And uh, those courses we charge for because that helps provide funds to provide the classes for our first responders. Well, yeah, that makes sense. And and we don't have any employees. I don't get paid anything. Um, it's all done um, to provide this for our first responders. Right. Now, now, I have one of my questions is where did the idea for the nonprofit come from? But I think you covered that. Can you cover it just briefly again? Like, we're, like you're the... You're the sole person that had this idea, right? Uh, no, <laughs> I oh, did. Okay. Have a, I did have a partner in the beginning that, uh, and I thank God for her every day because she's <sighs> very gifted, but but uh, gifted not in the areas I'm I'm not gifted in the areas she's gifted in, and so <laughs> we we did start it together. Um, but her passion was not for the first responders, so she has. She left in uh, last April, and she is now a hospice chaplain. Okay. And, you know, we're still good friends, and she still supports our ministry. Um, It just was, when you look back on your life, sometimes you can just see God brings people together for a certain reason. And Uh I don't know that I ever would have started it without her and without her encouragement. Um, So it's, yes. So it was a it was a partnership in the beginning, but she has moved on, and here I am now. I'm the executive director. That's amazing. So what what's the website address? How can we find this online? Sure. Frontline first. Frontlinefirst.org. Oh well, that's easy. Okay. And are you on any social media? We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Okay. Although I'm not as good at. Twitter and Instagram as I am at Facebook. <laughs> now, how can we, how can we support frontline first? Uh, several ways. The most important would be prayer. If you're a person of prayer, if you would pray for us, because when our, when our participants come in, it's, it's very difficult for them. And some of them have years and years of, um, I call it stuff that they have stuffed and haven't dealt with. And, <laughs> Cumulative uh, trauma. Yes. And it's kind of like, you know, I don't know if you've ever done this where you just keep putting all your things in the closet and keep, putting, you know, and finally, and finally you go to put something in the closet and you can't close the door and it all explodes. So we have that. So certainly the most important way to support us is prayer. Um, we also um, could use donations. I have a fundraising dinner coming up. If anybody is in the greater Sacramento area and wants to come to our dinner, that's April 4th. We'd love to have you. And they can contact us on our website for that. Um, If you're not in the Northern California area, and this sounds like a course that you might like to have in your area, you can contact Reboot Recovery. And uh, they would be happy to help you or... Uh, quite honestly, if somebody contacts me directly, I am more than willing to help them um, walk through what it took for us to get started. I am willing to travel to help someone get a course started if that's what they would like. Uh, I'm just very passionate about our first responders. And now how how can they get a hold of you though? Can they get a hold of you? Uh, on frontlinefirst.org. Absolutely. Yeah. So your name is on there. My name is on there. Um, my my direct email is vicky at frontlinefirst.org. That's vicky with an I-E. Or you can go to info at frontlinefirst. Uh, we have a phone number on there. Um, people can contact me directly that way. And I introduced you as Chaplain Vicky. So is your last name on, on this? Yes, my last name is Stanfill. Okay. And they are, uh, I go by Chaplain Vicky. Vicki Stanfield. One of my favorite names is Grandma. <laughs> yes, of course. Now, see, if I would not have moved to Tennessee, if I would still be in Northern California, I would be working with you on this. Yes, you would. Because yes, it would, would be amazing. But yeah. here I am now writing a book. I run the Thin Blue Line for Women and uh, now starting the podcast. So I'm very busy. <laughs> very busy yeah. woman. Yeah. Chaplain Vicki, 
Uh, thank you so much for coming on. All of your information is just invaluable. I just, it's, it's amazing. Wait, I said that wrong. Invaluable. It's valuable. It's just amazing. This nonprofit, I'm going to look into it more because I really did not know the full details about it until just now talking with you. It sounds amazing. And I bet you there will be some people coming forward and wanting to take this course or wanting to start this course in their area. I'm, I, I, I think there will be. I mean, it sounds wonderful. I just thank you for your time. Thank you for being a chaplain. Thank you for being there for me all those years and having pie with me and Starbucks. <laughs> uh, you're just a wonderful lady. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It has really been my honor. And I so appreciate our friendship. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chaplain Vicki. Have you ever wondered what being a part of CSI is really like? If so, here's your chance to experience it. My book titled Through My Eyes, CSI Memoirs That Haunt the Soul is available now on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Join me next week when I talk with a wonderful police lady. She's a sergeant, a wife and a mom, and we talk about how she balances all that. We talk about the sad, epidemic of police suicides that are going on right now. But we end our conversation with some funny stories that'll make you laugh. So tune in next week when I talk to Sergeant Manders from Twitter. The Real Life Podcast was recorded and is being made available by Anchor.fm and its affiliates solely for the informational and entertainment purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided and or expressed on the Real Life Podcast are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers, and are responsible for all show content and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the agencies and communities that the guests may serve. Some parts of the Real Life Podcast may contain adult content intended for people who are 18 years of age or older. Please listen responsibly.